Amen. In your Bibles tonight, 2 Samuel chapter number 6. 2 Samuel chapter number 6. And a uh, very interesting passage of Scripture. And uh, some things I think will help us. Some things we want to see. A reminder of what's happening here. David has officially become the king of the nation of Israel. The entire nation of Israel. It's taken a long time. And he's been through a whole lot to get here. And David, with a pure motive, wants to please the Lord and wants to set up a, a place of God's blessing in Jerusalem. And part of that process is to bring the Ark of the Covenant uh, to the central place in Jerusalem. And he's going to call for the Ark of the Covenant, which has been out of place and displaced now for 75 years. The Ark of the Covenant, to remind you what the Ark of the Covenant is, God you encouraged Moses to set up uh, and to you have the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments. It was like a box with the Ten Commandments in it. There was manna in it. Uh, and there was a the mercy seat that sat on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And two... Uh, uh, cherubim uh, angels that were on the top of the covenant and this was the place in the old testament where god dwelt now, that's a very elementary explanation of what's going on with the ark of the covenant but god uh, chose to use and have the ark of the covenant as his holy place and it was very specifically to, it's very specific how it was to be dealt with i don't know if you remember back when we were working our way through first samuel but early in first samuel saul has become the king of Israel, and he feels like if he could have the Ark of the Covenant, uh, it would help him and help the nation of Israel to win and have victory. Well, Saul take, does things way out of line, out of order, the wrong way, and really the uh, Ark of the Covenant is actually the Ark of the Covenant is taken by the Philistines. I don't know if you remember that. But the Philistines take and steal the Ark of the Covenant and put it in the house of their god Dagon. And uh, I don't know if you remember this, uh, thinking about this and, and working through it, but as the Ark, when the Ark of the Covenant was in the, uh, was in the house of Dagon, their images of their gods at night would, be, would end up face down and plagues began to happen to the Philistines. And uh, the Philistines were so uh, uh, scared of the, Ark of, uh, of the Ark of the Covenant and what God was doing to their people that they put the Ark on a cart... Uh, they built a cart and sat the ark on a cart, and they put they got two milk kine and uh, untamed uh, cattle, and they hook the cart to the cattle, and they send the ark of the covenant on its merry way. And of course, led by God, it goes where it needs to go. Uh, you remember that? Uh, those were I can't get into all the details. There's so many details. Uh, one thing that God had commanded the nation of Israel. Uh, through Moses in regards to the Ark of the Covenant was how the Ark of the Covenant was to be moved from place to place. Uh, you'll keep your finger in Second Samuel and uh, turn with me back to Numbers chapter number 4. Uh, we'll get to our text, I promise. But all these things are very important groundwork as we understand what we're getting ready to read. A passage of Scripture that's easily misunderstood. In Numbers chapter number 4, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers chapter number 4, and verse number 
15. In regards to moving the Ark of the Covenant, the Bible says, When Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, as the camp is to set forward, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to bury it. But they shall not touch any holy thing, lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. And I want to just give you a, a very basic idea of what's going on here. The way God designed the Ark of the Covenant to be moved was not like the Philistines moved it on a cart, but it was to be born. There was holes and a place where rods could be put through the Ark of the Covenant and Levites, specifically Levites, members of the tribe of Levi in this section in Numbers, the sons of Kohath, Levites, were to take and they were to bear the ark on these poles or beams and carry it wherever it was supposed to go. It was supposed to be covered so that you didn't see it. And it was supposed to be carried with these rods and not touched. And the Bible says if they touch it, they will die. If they touch it, they will die. And uh, so this was something that was well known. It was well known to David. It was well known to all of the nation of Israel. The Levites are to bear on their shoulders the ark when it is moved and not touch it. You get it? All right. Let's see where Uzzah comes into the picture. Back to 2 Samuel chapter number 6. 2 Samuel chapter number 6 beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, again... David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart, and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompany, uh, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David. But David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom 
the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Now, we come to this passage of Scripture, and, and I have lots of questions, honestly. As I began to study this text, and this is the first time I've ever preached anything from this chapter of Scripture. And it's one of those chapters in God's Word that's often skipped over because it's kind of like, I don't know if I want to represent God this way. Now, here's what we have. We see David with good intentions and the nation of Israel, 30,000 people come together to praise and worship and to please God. This great host of people are singing praises to God and greatly anticipating the Ark of the Covenant being brought to a central location, placed in a tent prepared by David, all of which in and of itself was a good idea. David wanted to please the Lord. David wanted God's blessing. David was seeking God. David was praising the Lord. There's all really good things. But in the midst of the story, an unusual thing happens. And if you're, you're not uh, paying attention, if you're not uh, aware of what God has clearly said in his word in time past, this passage of Scripture seems incredibly unfair because you have these two brothers, Ahio and Uzzah, sons of Gibeah, men just doing the bidding of their king and taking on a reasonable task. And you see craftsmen crafting a new cart to carry the ark of God on. You think, I mean, these guys are doing their best. Why would it happen like this? And the story goes that Uzzah leading the way and, I'm sorry, Ohio leading the way and Uzzah somewhere where he could be beside the ark. I mean, doesn't it make sense that you don't want to drop the ark of God? They've got this ark on a cart. And they come to the threshing floor, Nacon's threshing floor. And as the oxen are walking to Nacon's threshing floor, the cart bobbles. And Uzzah does what any of us would most likely do. Whoa! And when Uzzah touches the ark, the Bible says something that at first glance, bothers me. Verse number 7. Uzzah was protecting the ark, right? Right. 
But the Bible says the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. Not only does it aggravate me a little bit, but it made David mad. Look how David responded to God's judgment. In verse 8, David was displeased. Because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. That word breach, the Lord had broke out against him. The Lord had caused him to die. He had broke out against him. David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah, the breach of Uzzah, the breaking out of God against Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? I've underlined that question. David's frustrated. He's flustered. He don't understand why God would do what God just did. How many of you have ever wondered why in the world, God, have you allowed this to happen? It happens, right? How many of you have ever, and, and it's, it's an emotion that honest people have to deal with. How many of you have ever just been mad at God because things didn't go the way you thought they should? David's there. David's there. And in this instance, David has to back up and remember a couple things that he did wrong. Folks, I want you to know that God is a righteous, holy judge. God is a righteous, holy, and loving God. And the works that he does are righteous, holy, and loving. And even the moment that Uzzah's life was snuffed out because of his error and his mistake, even then we must trust the omniscience of God. We must trust the sovereignty of God. We must trust the love of God. And in this story, there's some things we need to pay attention to and some things that we can apply to our lives that will no doubt give us some help. We, we get to a place in our lives where we, just, we have run into a, a brick wall. We've run into things we don't understand. We, we are heartbroken over circumstances and we can't figure out why God would allow that. And I'm not telling you that I'm going to come up with the answers tonight, but I am telling you tonight that you can trust the Lord. And in this story, David learns a very valuable lesson. He learns that he must do God's work God's way. Let's consider that first. Folks, we must do God's work God's way. There are so many people who want God's blessing, but they are unwilling to submit to God's method and God's way of accomplishing what he set out to accomplish. There are so many people who want God to bless them in their sin. They want God, but they want God to bless them in their sin. It doesn't work like that. There's a great movement in our society of 
men married to men and women married to women who want to take leadership roles in the church of God, all the while partaking in a lifestyle that is directly and strictly forbidden by God's word. Now look, we don't hate those people. But God can't bless something that he forbids. We must do God's work God's way. There's a thousand other examples. Most of them less severe. But we must know that we we need God to do God's work. When we come to this text, we see David doing, attempting to do God's work. David, in verse number 1, gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. 30,000 strong people who have joined their hearts together in one accord to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to God's people. It's good. This is real good. You know something that was missing from this passage of Scripture? All through our study of the life of David, David is consistently seeking the Lord for direction and wisdom. And in this instance, he does God's work without seeking God's will. He doesn't seek the Lord. He says, "I must be, it's a good thing. Jesus' stuff is good, right? Surely Jesus is going to bless something that's in his name. God's stuff is great. And surely God will bless something we try to do sincerely in his name. But if you do it sincerely... In his name, without his approval or contrary to his word, you're not going to do God's work, God's way. He gathered together 30,000 people. Verse 20, David arose and went with all the people that were with him from uh, Baalai of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord God of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubs. He's going to bring the presence of God back into the middle of the people. That's good, right? And verse number three, here's what he does. They set the ark of God upon a new cart. <laughs> now, when we first read that, we think, oh, that's nice. They built a new cart for God's work. But David knew full well. And God's people had been instructed and who knew the law of God and the words of Moses. They knew that God had declared that Levites were to carry and bear on their shoulders with these rods the ark of God. What was David doing? David was imitating what the Philistines had done with the ark of God. And I'll just tell you, right out of the gate, God was displeased with the mishandling of his ark. You see, we've got to do things God's way. We've got to do God's work God's way. And so the Bible says in verse 3, they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. Let me tell you something. Those boys, there ain't nothing wrong with them. But God had said Levites were to bear the ark of God. And these boys weren't Levites. And so David said, you know what? It's a new day. It's a new era. It's a a new opportunity. And I'll tell you what we're going to do now. In this year of the Lord, the new kingdom of King David, we're going to do things a little bit different now. He said, boys, build us a new cart. And he said, Uzzah and Ahio, I imagine these were prime young men. He said, Uzzah and Ohio, we're going to pick the finest boys we got in all the land. 
And you guys accompany and make sure the ark gets here. But there were two problems. God in his word had said the ark is to be born on the shoulders of Levites and not touched. And David says, we're going to do things our way. I don't think that he was ill-intentioned. I just think David decided that God's word really didn't matter in this instance. If you ever get to the place where you think God's word really doesn't matter in the Christian walk, you're treading on dangerous ground. You see, we must not neglect to do God's word God's way. These boys weren't Levites. They didn't bear it on their shoulders. And God could not allow the touching of his ark. He'd promised if they, someone touches that ark, they're going to die. And so that's what happens. Verse number 4, they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God in Ohio, went before the ark, and David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments, made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And what they did was just fine. David made up a marching band, and they were celebrating bringing the ark of God into the midst of the people of God. But the Bible says when they came to Nacon, verse number 6, Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. The first thing I want you to see tonight is this. We must not neglect to do God's work God's way. Number two, we must trust God's holiness, and we must heed God's warning. We must trust God's holiness and heed God's warning. The next thing is so, it's so devastating. It made David mad. It upsets the reader. But it's true. These boys doing the best they knew how. Uzzah on the side of the ark of God. When the ark shook, he reached out after it was shook and touched it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God smote him there for his error. Boy, isn't that sad? It's sad to watch and see Uzzah's body laying there. A well-intentioned move that brought about the curse of God. Boy, it's a sad thing. But folks, here's how it goes. If God has said the penalty for that is death, the penalty for that is death. What we've got to know is we've got to know that God is holy. God is righteous. And God has a purpose that's beyond our understanding. Uzzah, he dies that day. It's tragic. But we must know that God has a purpose. Now I want you to see something. Why in the world did Uzzah die that day? Because I'll have you know, God could not allow the error and disregard and disobedience to his word to continue in the nation of Israel without him dealing with it and saying something about it. God does this in many different times, in the beginning of different eras in his word. We've talked, it's kind of interesting, but I've talked about this a lot lately. Do you remember Achan? We talked about him this morning. We talked about him in Sunday school last week. Oh, Achan. Uh, the nation of Israel has just begun to take over the promised land, the walls of Jericho have just fallen down. 
And just recently, the nation of Israel has come through the Jordan River on dry ground. The promised land is theirs, and the promised land is, is victorious. And God has made very clear, we're not going to take of the things that belong to the people of Jericho. You can't have them. You can't have them. The gold and the precious metals, they're going into the treasury of the nation of Israel and all of their belongings, their uh, tapestries and their pots and all their food, it's going to be burned. You understand me? Don't do that. But yet there's Achan. Achan's like, well, you know, I mean, surely God will make a little exception about this thing. And, and so Achan takes a few things that, he was, that was a curse, a few things that weren't supposed to be his. And what's he do? He hides them in his home. The next time the nation of Israel goes out to battle, they're so confident of their ability to win that they just take a few thousand uh, soldiers to, to win this battle, but they come home with their tails tucked because they're defeated. And a very tragic moment happens in the book of Joshua, and I hate it. It breaks my heart every time I read it. Achan tries to cover up. He has opportunity to repent. He covers up, he covers up, he covers up. And finally, Achan is brought before Joshua, and his sin is discovered, and the penalty of his sin is a tragic moment. Achan and his family and all that he has stoned to death on the spot. I'm like, why, why? I'll have you know that God used the sin of Achan to remind the people that God's word must be obeyed. And the penalty of disobeying God's word is real. There's a verse in scripture that I've applied to my life many times. Smite the scorner and the simple will beware. And God has a way of saying, hey, listen, I cannot, as a righteous God, put up with wickedness. And so you can either fall under the judgment and wrath of God, or you can see the judgment and wrath of God fall on someone else and say, Lord, I'm going to do my best to obey your word. Achan is an example. There's other examples in the New Testament. And uh, Ananias and Sapphira, I've talked about them very recently too. But Ananias and Sapphira, at the beginning of the New Testament church, uh, people like Barnabas were bringing great gifts so the church could be, be started and established. And, and uh, in the scriptures, the Bible says that Barnabas had a piece of land and he sold it. And Ananias and Sapphira, they had a piece of land and they sold it. And Ananias, he held back a portion of the, of the proceeds which was his to keep, but what he did is he held back a portion of the proceeds and he told the church. He said, I've sold this piece of property and I've given it all to God. And God made sure that Achan and everybody else knew that that type of deception was something that God could not stand for. And it was not the kind of thing that the church of God would be built on. And Peter, as he addresses this with Achan, he says, hey, listen, man. When the property was yours, it was yours to do with as you please. Why in the world would you deceive and try to deceive the church? You've sinned. And in the beginning of the, the church, at the beginning of the foundation of the church, God says, I cannot put up with that. 
and sin will be punished. And all these examples, what are they for? To make us hate God? No. They're to make us understand that God is righteous and holy. And you better be glad he's righteous and holy. There'd be nothing worse than to live under the rule of a God who is not righteous. A God who is not holy. A God who is not just. Who You didn't know the rules of engagement. But in this moment, God had made it plain. Listen, boys. Levites bear my ark on their shoulders. And nobody touches it. Understood? And when you see us of that day touch the ark of God and his life is over, it's tragic, it is. And we're to learn that it is a tragic thing to disobey a righteous, loving, just, and holy God. Don't forget it. Number three. We just must obey God's word. Now, I want you to see what happens. This is fascinating. Now, David, he's mad. He's upset that day and afraid. And he says, how, in verse 9, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? He said, I don't know how I'm going to do God's word. And then he begins to think about his own question. And it's like, aha, I probably need to do God's work God's way. He obeys God's word. Here's what happens. So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David. He says, I'm not bringing it up here yet. But carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Do you know where the ark of God went? To a Levite. Why? Because that's where it belonged. The ob the uh, uh the ark of God went to Obed-Edom, to the house of a Levite. And the Bible says in verse 11, And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Verse 12, And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him, because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. Now pay close attention. How does he do it in verse 13? And it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. Let me tell you what happened this time. This time, David sought the Lord. This time, David made sure that the ark of the Lord was handled the way that God's word had said that the ark of the Lord needed to be handled. And when they bear the ark, they went six paces, and it was clear that God was blessing the moving. And they sacrificed the Lord, and they worshiped the Lord. The Bible says in verse 14, it's a beautiful picture here. David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. David danced before the Lord. He praised the Lord. He got freedom. You know, here just a few verses ago, he's like, God, I can't believe how mean you are. But then when he obeyed God, obeyed God's word, and saw that God's way really works, guess what happened? <laughs> it's so much better to do things God's way. He danced before the Lord. He praised the Lord. He worshiped the Lord. 
He gave God glory. He sacrificed before the Lord. And they carry the Ark of the Covenant into the city of God, the city of David. The Bible says in verse number 15, So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Guess what happened? When he did things God's way, it worked. It worked. Now, I know this is an odd passage of Scripture, but I want to remind you of a few things. We must do God's work God's way. We must trust the holiness of God and heed his warnings. And we must always obey God's word. You see, God's way is best. Why does God punish sin? Because he's so mean? He's a cosmic killjoy? No. God punishes sin because he knows that when we dabble in sin, we bring to ourselves the greatest of hurts and harm. And this day that Uzzah lost his life because of the error, ultimately, I believe, the error of their leader, David. God used an innocent person to set free and protect generations to come. You see, in Uzzah, we see a picture of our Savior. Why did Jesus die? The innocent died for the guilty so that we don't have to suffer the penalty of our sin. You see, God's way is best. Be obedient to God's word. You'll be glad you did. Now listen, you know what the temptation would be with a critical mind to a story like this of Uzzah. Huh. How can you please a God that's so picky? That's not the case at all. He's full of grace. He's full of mercy. And the things that are important to him, he makes readily available for all of us to understand in his word. Trust him. Believe him. Obey him. And you'll find him faithful. God's way is best. God's way works and by all means, just obey him. He's faithful. Let's pray.